Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast. Today, I'm joined by two people, Tom and Michael, who founded an organization called Someone to Tell It To. And it's a nonprofit, but its aim is around listening. And they have a what I think is quite a unique approach in that they train people how, uh, through this organization, to listen pairs to an individual and offer that up. And if you check out their website, it's uh, amazing, the stories and the impressions and the impact they've had on people. And their aim is to to tackle loneliness that's uh, in there. And you'll hear a story today about a an event they went to and an old man and his story in there that, for me, just made me emotional because you start to realize that a simple thing like listening, which is we know is not simple, can make such a big impact on, on people. So I'd love you to just listen. Listen to two wonderful uh, human beings talking about their their business, someone to tell it to, and um, look forward to hearing what you think about it. So I'm going to start off with a soft interest. I'm looking at the book in the background, and I'm just interested. The book is your book. Yeah, tell me a bit yeah, about it. This one yeah. and that one. I have two of oh, three. Wow. Okay. And our fourth yeah. in a couple months. Ah, okay. So you've published a multiple authors and multiple books. Yeah. So what's the latest one on? What are you doing on that? This one's called Listening Two by Two, A Paradigm Shift for Leaders. That's when the magic happens. And uh, uh, it's written for leaders. And we wrote it in such a way that leaders could read it on an airplane flight of two hours or less. <laughs> I love it. And it's yeah. very practical um, suggestions about how to implement listening into your work cultures. Uh, amazing. Love and the that. book we're working on now is yep. a sequel to this. Mm -hmm. Taking one of the characters in this first book or this book and yep. expanding on her journey of listening and leading. And we're, we're excited about that. Uh, sounds great. Yeah. How much do you enjoy writing books? I always, I say that as a published author myself. Yeah. And how much do you enjoy the process? I think we enjoy it a lot because yeah. we've actually been kind of geeking out on this leadership assessment called the working genius assessment. And um, okay. we've actually built it into our leadership and listening um, training. And Michael, his high genius is wonderment. And mine is ideation. So I'm an ideas mm. person and he's a wonderer. So he thinks of the big why questions. And so through our writing, it's a way for us to really get our dreams and aspirations and some of the things that we want to see happen in the world down on paper. I've got to check that out. I've never heard of that. So I've got to, I've got another tool I need to go check out. I'm a <laughs> yeah, collector. It's, we it's, call it cuckoo it's, in the UK. We tend to collect things. So uh, yeah, that's me in, in the UK. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, gentlemen, why don't you give a chance to introduce yourself? Maybe tell a bit about your story, how you got here, how you got to the books, but also about your organization to the listeners. That'd be great. Well, we uh, created, established someone to tell it to 11 years ago because we both saw a strong need for people to be listened to in the world. We have realized that there is, with our, our tremendous uh, technological connectedness, you know, we, we are more connected as people around, the, you know, in the world than ever before. But we also realize at the same time, we are perhaps less emotionally and relationally connected than ever before. There is, there is so much disconnection among the you know, human, humankind. And we wanted to do something about that. And 
we can connect with one another. And it comes out of our own story and our own friendship, our own relationship with one another. And I'm going to let Tom begin that because he it really starts with him in this case. Yeah, great. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. So in the early years of my professional career, I was just in a really toxic work culture. So we know firsthand what it's like to work in a toxic work environment where in a lot of ways it felt like I was walking on eggshells every day. I didn't really know what to expect on the job from one day to the next. But uh, Michael and I became dear friends and he served initially as a mentor, but then our relationship just really catapulted into something really deep and something we both needed and craved mm -hmm. that we were able to provide for each other, especially as men, to be able to be vulnerable and open and authentic, uh, to be true to who we are, and to be able to just really be each other's, someone to tell it to. The name of our organization is Someone to Tell It To, and it comes from an Australian author who once said that someone to tell it to is one of the fundamental needs of human beings. And we always say in a lot of the talks and writing that we, we give is just that we needed that ourselves. And we realized that everybody needs that, that same thing. So then, um, you know, our organization started, as Michael said, 11 years ago, where we on a walk one day just said, what, what would it look like if we did something together? And uh, it was a vulnerable moment. You know, I, I'm an ideas person. I'm strong in ideation. And, and I'm kind of this entrepreneur in a lot of ways. And I just turned to Michael and said, what, what would that look like? And his immediate response was, absolutely, I'm all in. And, uh, you know, he could have went one or two ways, which really could have either cemented our relationship as it's done, or it could have kind of maybe put, potentially put a kind of a wedge, I think. Or even an end know, to it. An end. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you know, we just have always fully trusted each other and uh, believed in each other. And so it just catapulted this mission that we realized, again, that that this need, this inherent need that we had to be heard is something that every every human being needs as well. Mm, I love that. I mean, so many people are fearful about taking a, a family or work relationship uh, or a, a friend relationship, put it into work context. Um, whereas I've found the opposite side. As long as that dialogue is open, it sounded like you had the mentor dialogue going anyway, then at least you, you know. And my oldest friend from the age five works for me. And we always have this conversation every probably a month going, Am I still okay? <laughs> yeah, from both sides to, to work. So as long as we're listening to each other, to your point, and as long as there's a communication, then it's amazingly powerful how those connections can, and can work for you. I think we found that it's only strengthened our relationship and cemented yeah. it. That doesn't mean mm -hmm. it's always been easy. I mean, there are times when things are, are tough, particularly financially, you know, and, and it can be very stressful. It is for, for most people. It's mostly when Michael bothers me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So okay. go on, then, Tom. See, tell us, tell us why. relationship <laughs> unravel right before their eyes. Now. <laughs> <laughs> so when does he bother you? Come on. <laughs> but, but, but no, we've, we've just really, we just really trusted one another. Trust and trusted mm -hmm. one another and yeah. and know that we can count on on each other to to be supportive to be encouraging to be reassuring just to show one another that we're in this together and mm -hmm. no matter how hard it might might be for whatever we whatever we're doing that that we're in it together and we can we can deal with anything and as we to say in our business you've got to be able to eat your own dog food or drink your own champagne whichever one you want in this so to actually listen to each other and work it out yeah i prefer yeah, eat your absolutely. own dog food but most people prefer the drink your own champagne. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I'll add also, we're both 
we, we're podcast junkies. We lead a podcast series ourselves, but we also just love to tune in. And we're enjoying listening to some of your most recent episodes as well. And uh, nice. we just love to listen to a lot of other podcasts because we find as leaders that just enlivens us. It just keeps us on point. It keeps us fresh. But we listen to a podcast that's become one of our favorites pretty much through the pandemic. It's called How I Built This. And it's all mm. about uh, entrepreneurs and how they, they their entrepreneurial journeys of starting things. And it actually became, it was turned into a book. And I remember one of the chapters that talks about the need to have a co-founder with you when you, when you start yeah. these ventures and just to have somebody who's always going to be in your corner. And also, I think Michael and I realized both of us provide uh, different gifts. We both have a lot of the same, absolutely the same values, but we share different gifts at times. And we've always been able to play off each other's gifts to really have the greatest impact. And those gifts have complemented yeah. one another and I think strengthened mm. us in doing this together. I think we find a lot of people do question how our friendship could last. Uh, yeah. doing this and <laughs> just generally it, or working in business <laughs> just, well, just especially doing this together doing you know yeah some people have been surprised that not mm. not because they think that we wouldn't be good friends to you know as, as as people but but surprised that a relationship can weather the challenges and the hardships and the you know all the the issues that may arise in working together and mm. but it but it has and it's uh, only yeah. Yeah, I, I think made it stronger. I love that. Most love it. that story, and I love that connection piece. Tell me, you're going to say something. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we think it's actually the smartest thing that we've done is that we do this together. <laughs> that we, that none That's of us great. are in this alone, because in the work yeah. that we do, listening to people and hearing some horrendous stories mm. and pain and brokenness and grief and you know all of it that we hear in our listening work, that can be overwhelming to do that alone. Mm but yeah. to do it together. And that's, uh, that's actually a key component of, of all of our listeners. And now that we've grown and we have a teams of listeners, everyone does it in pairs because we think we're stronger together. And we, you know, we form bonds with one another, you know, fellow listeners in order to do this work together, to hear some hard things together and, mm -hmm. and react together and respond together to those things and to those people who share those stories with us. I love that because, you know, we do similar work. We, uh, we run workshops, we facilitate, but in pairs. And it's very difficult to facilitate a group. Say one of the programs I do for three days by myself, it's, it's tiring, but actually to work with somebody. Also, you hear different things. I think that's the, you know, you pick up on the subtleties. Yeah. No, that's right. Normal. We're also able to cover for one another when, you know, I don't know what to yeah. say. He, he's able to <laughs> and vice versa. <laughs> that, yeah. That, you know, and that's kind of always before we go into any presentation together, any speaking engagement, any whatever, you know, say to one, you know, hey, just step in at any point. If you can help answer this question that I'm that I'm struggling maybe to, to, to answer, please, please don't hesitate. That happens more than. Like did. <laughs> <laughs> I think Tom's the truth teller in this relationship, and Michael's the positive. Yeah, I like that. Well, I, I, I'm, he, he's the truth teller. Yeah. I'm, the, I'm the diplomat, and, and he's the diplomat. The, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's a, probably my first insight, actually, because I, I realize that we've lost a bit of that in our business around working in pairs. Because we used to, we called it hunting in packs when we were selling. But then working in pairs when we're facilitating. And it's it's interesting because the life of a, a coach tends to be a one-on-one. -on -one. 
mm-hmm. whereas actually there's a, there's a power in your story. So, so tell us the story about how the, the organization and the product came to life and how you crafted that. I'd love to understand that. Yeah. Probably for the first five years of doing this, it was simply Tom and, and me doing the listening yeah. work, as well as the speaking and the train, the listening training work that, that we grew to, to do, as well as writing. I mean, it was just, it was simply the two of us. Mm-hmm. And, but as we continue to do more and more listening, as we continue to meet more and more people and grow, the, the work that we were doing, we realized we needed more people uh, to be involved. We could not do this alone. We also realized fairly early on that what we were doing transcends cultures. It transcends nations. And people began, you know, once we had a website and we're on Facebook and, you know, uh, on social media, people began reaching out to us from across the United States and around the world. And that was really is really exciting for us to know that that what we're doing has universal impact and it's a universal need because the Mm. the loneliness epidemic that this world is has that has just exploded it's its own pandemic in the world it's been going on for more than 30 years now it's the same everywhere i mean people there's loneliness there's disconnection everywhere around the world and and so we've then, you know, we realized we need more people to do this. And we began looking for and recruiting and, and listening to people and finding people who had similar, va- the same values, who had mm-hmm. the same inclination to want to listen and to want to help the world to listen by teaching and educating and training. You know, and it just kind of grew, it's been growing from there. And, you know, we have teams now who do the training work, who do listening work. It gives us Tom and me, particularly the space to write more books, to be the voice of the organization, to, mm-hmm. to, to be the face of it for the most part. And we're, we're loving, we're loving that because uh, we've got people now who can, who can undergird us by their listening and training work to enable us to help the organization to continue to grow and, and for people to become more aware of the need and of what we do to help meet that need. I love the laser focus on loneliness. It's um, last year. So uh, I saw that Ken Blanchard gave you a, a shout out, good friends uh, and part of an IS, ISA organization that we are part of. And we go, love it. Scottsdale in March when it's warm and we've got through the British winter is a great place to, to be. <laughs> but it's, um, it's this piece we were doing on the final uh, morning of last year we were doing a workshop and it was just somebody from Harvard who came in and was facilitating us through a process. And we were, it was drilling down every section into what drives us, what us, you know, what, what is really driving you as an individual. And there was two Brits, myself and another Brit who were up there and sharing the mic and sharing our thoughts as we went through. And what was fascinating to me towards the end, this is after about three hours of introspection, I was giving some blah, blah answer, you know, typical consultancy, blah, blah, to the final question. And she called me on it. She said, "Mm, don't get that. Don't believe that's what it is. So just take a second in front of 120 people um, and work out what it is that you, uh, what makes you tick. And, And actually, it was interesting where I came to and it was everybody, nearly everybody in the audience nodded their head was, I just don't want to be lonely. And that was the fundamental. And therefore, the way you've honed in loneliness and the ability for people to connect and talk is fascinating. So 
Tell me a bit more about how that comes across, what you're doing, and some of the, the results you're getting would be amazing to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, you had asked Michael too, and I want to give it just a real example. I think in early the early years, we were at a speaking engagement here in central Pennsylvania to maybe a, a group, a local group, a civic group of maybe, let's say, 75 people. And I remember after our talk was completed, there was an elderly man in the room who had been part of this community for a long time. And he said, I absolutely love what you're doing and embarking upon in this world. But I wanted to be honest, he said, the only thing that does that for me in my life is my dog. Hmm. And everybody in the room chuckled initially. And then everybody just sat there in silence for like two minutes because they realized the the seriousness of what this man had to say, because there's so many statistics. We just encourage all of your listeners just to go and do a quick Google search of the epidemic of loneliness. And it is, as Michael mentioned, a global problem. I mean, in the UK, uh, pre-pandemic, there was like over 200,000 older adults that would go an entire month without connecting with anybody. That was when the UK appointed a minister of loneliness to try to address the problem. And then I just saw an article even just two days ago in Berlin, I think, or Belgium, in Belgium, they're starting a government project where they're sending people to people's homes to just visit them. And so, yeah, this is just a global issue. And so we're just so fortunate to be a part of the movement. Of just we we brand ourselves as just helping the world to listen, and so we did, as Michael mentioned, develop this training program. That's really there's been a couple of variations and versions of it, but it's continued to evolve. But we're really feel very confident in what we've created now. There's six modules that we work people through to just become better listeners, and we we can give almost our guarantee that anybody goes through our six modules will be, become a better listener, and mm-hmm. we realize that. Some people are more hardwired and it comes naturally to be a gifted listener. We've found with a lot of team members, for example, like who've taken the Myers-Briggs profile type that just intuitive feeler, feelers are just naturally good listeners because they they feel with people, which is by definition, in a lot of ways, the definition of empathy. It's feeling what, trying our best to feel what somebody else is feeling. So we started this training program that's really taken off. And then probably in the last five years, it's just grown significantly. And we get invited into a lot of corporate cultures, like big companies like Deloitte, for example, have invited us in to do corporate trainings. And then we've worked with nonprofits and with schools here in in central Pennsylvania, where we're headquartered. We just got approval this, this last year in 2022 to be accredited for all teachers to go through our training program to get accreditation. Um, which is exciting for our organization. So people are starting to see the need and we're just happy to try to do our best in our own small way to, to serve that need. And uh, mm. we say all the time that listening is just needed in every sector of society. And I think it's listening and then it's the hearing and understanding what's going on there, you know, that uh, with the individual. Because I think this sometimes, you know, when we all work with leaders and I'd love to get your, your thoughts on this from the books that you're writing. A lot of leaders say, why well, listen? Yeah, but they listen to to hear for gaps, for errors, for judgments. Mm-hmm. And actually what you're talking about is something different. So maybe just say a bit more about what you're you're looking for in that listening. Yeah. Just last week we led a training for a leadership group in Pennsylvania and we did an exercise took a half hour to do it, where we divided the, the, the group of about 38 people into groups of three, mostly three, where two people were to, supposed to listen, just like we do as in pairs, while one person talked for 10, for 10 minutes. 
And then we took a break and then debriefed with the group. How did that, how was that? How did that sound? How, how did it feel? And the gr- <laughs> we had a hard time as we were looking at the group during that first 10 minutes, like who were the people who were listening? Because mm-hmm. everyone was just talking. They, <laughs> they were talking over one another or with one another. They weren't, there was not a, People grabbed their phones. There, and, yeah, people were they yeah. were already bored after you know in, after ten in less than ten minutes, and they had to pick up their phone to look at messages and whatever. And we we said, okay, now how th- what what that feel like? And a number of people they said, well, we didn't really listen very well. Hmm. We we wanted to fix you know one you know somebody said. I, I just couldn't help myself because whatever the other one person was saying, I just had to tell them how to fix this. This is how this, you know, it could be better. And that's one of the, the rules that we strongly do not permit. Uh, you know, when, when we say you cannot try to fix people because that's not good listening. Most people don't like to be told what to do. And so we did this exercise three, three times. And with each successive time, it got better. It got better. There was better listening. The the group was quieter and they gave the space and the time for the person who was supposed to be talking that round mm-hmm. to actually talk. We say that it has to be non-judgmental, the listening, and it can't be fixing. It is truly giving someone, this person you're listening to, the space to say what they need to say. And even to be okay with uncomfortable silences, which were pe- most people aren't, but to let those silences be there because that actually gives the space for the person who's talking, gives them more space to say what they need to say. And at the end of that simple half hour of those groups practicing listening, we knew that something had great had happened when one woman said, while I was talking, the answer came to me hmm. what I needed to do about my problem. I didn't need them to tell me what to do. I needed them to allow me to talk it out so that the answer that was within would come. Hmm. And she said, that's where the magic happens. And it was a direct quote from our book, which is subtitled, <laughs> that's where the magic happens. It and it was because that's exactly what listening does. It provides the safe space for someone to be heard, and literally for them to be able to hear themselves, yeah. to I, find I, and discover the answer. It's so much into the coaching mantra, and that's why I think a lot of leaders struggle with coaching, because they can't fix, they can't give a judgment, they can't, mm-hmm. you know, and they want to, as Michael Bungie-Stanier talks about, release the advice monster, Here, here's a bit of advice to make us feel better. Whereas a lot of people just want to be listened to. My sister probably, I think, is one of the best listeners in the world. She sits at dinner parties and she's nosy. She's curious and mm-hmm. she spends her time just getting curious about other people and, and people she worked for us. But people still 10, 15 years later talk about Kirsty and how she made them feel, which was to be special in that moment. One of our favorite phrases or quotes comes from Walt Whitman, who once said that, be curious, not judgmental. Hmm. Love that. We actually use that tagline in the signature of all of our emails. <laughs> Not curious, judgmental. Yeah. There's a piece for me going through my head, which is everybody's potentially listening to this. Not everybody, but people listening going, well, this is, this is basic, basic stuff that we're, we're teaching here. And you and I know that that's 
not the, the case. So what's your philosophy about why people struggle to listen? What's, what's in your heads when you go into this? Well, there's so many things. Yeah. I mean, we could yeah. probably talk yeah. hours about this, but we'll share a few things that we've learned. I mean, I'll, I'll share an example. We were actually at a conference with you mentioned Ken Blanchard, who uh, endorsed yeah. our book, and he's a leadership expert. And I remember he invited us to a conference in, a conference in West Palm Beach, Florida, and we were sitting around the lunch table with a group of other leaders. This is a global leaders conference, and we started going around the table, just introducing ourselves and saying what we did, and I turned to the woman next to me who had asked me what, what, what we did at someone to tell to. And I told her that we're, you know, our mission is to help the world to listen. And I explained it more. And she responded, so you just listen. And <laughs> yeah. even just in the way that she phrased it, there was definitely a judgment about our listening work. And we talk about this in our most recent book, Listening Two by Two, that we've, we, there are a lot of people that think that listening is just a soft skill. Like it just, we can learn it on the side, but we would say if you're in a leadership role and you're not a good listener, you're not going to be in a leadership role for very long. So then in this situation, this woman, we could tell that there was definitely some judgment about, about our work and whatever. And so I, I couldn't resist. And I, I, as you, you've kind of picked up, I tend to just nudge, poke the bear a little bit. And so I, I, I said, so tell me a little bit about your work. I'd like to learn a little bit more about what you do. And then she said, she's in the, PR space, doing public relations for organizations, helping plan events and things like that. And I said, oh, really? Oh, well, we actually have our big, we have, we're a nonprofit. So we have a big annual fundraising event actually in three days where we had a big speaker coming to Pennsylvania to speak on our behalf. And she said, okay, great. So you, here's what you need to do. You need to do this, do this, do this, do this. Don't do this and make sure you do this. <laughs> and everybody else around the table including myself, we look like a bunch of deer in the headlights because we just were like, that's not what I was asking for. I didn't need her to just give us a bunch. We've, we had already pulled off seven very successful events in years prior. We didn't need her to tell us what to do. Maybe just confirm. Maybe yeah, we're not saying you, she, I wouldn't have taken any suggestions that she had seriously. But one of the things that we've learned over the years is that if you don't have a relationship with someone and then you start to tell people what to do, they're especially going to balk at what you have to say. And I had zero relationship with this woman. And it's not that we didn't want to hear what she had to say because she might have had some things to say. But just in the way that she presented it, you know, it just put us probably on the defensive. That's what happens when we're told what to do. Most of us just get defensive and, and we oftentimes won't respond in a positive way because most of the answers need to come from within. If we're going to really go all in on something, it's got to come from from within within ourselves. We need to own it. I love that. I was chatting to one of a previous podcast guests about the identity paradox, and I think a lot of people's identity is is wrapped up in what they know, and less about the individual in front of them. And therefore, whether it's about sharing that they need help, or listening with curiosity, that identity paradox stops people going into that. And well, I gifted them three, four points, that would be enough for them rather than actually realizing that trust has not been built. And the right. you know, deer in the headlights is classic yeah. example. Yeah. And it's all about trust. It really is yeah. just all about building trust. That's what mm. that's what good listening does. It builds mm. trust for a person to be open, to be vulnerable, to really share and know that they have been heard and mm. that they they are cared for and and validated. Mm. That's that's what it's about. 
So I'm interested, one of the, I was listening to one of the, the videos beforehand and, you know, one of the biggest things that out, is out there is the political divide. And even one of your speakers was saying, we're not here to talk politics. We're not, this is not a political piece at the beginning of our speech. But I think for me, John Alexander is, uh, is a, a thinker on citizens. I don't know if you come across his, across his book, Citizens, but he talks yeah. about how we've all been subjects in a subject story to lords, kings. And then we've been in a consumer uh, era where we buy more to be more beneficial or, or aid our societies. But his whole story now is the citizen story where we start to be more of a citizen, to listen, to engage, to dance with the music other people bring to us rather than our own music. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm fascinated to understand the level of impact that you're able to have in communities as well and some of the work there and whether that's been a, a focus for you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd say one thing that we have learned as well over the years is just, yes, there is, especially right now, there is a, there is a serious divide, uh, particularly here mm -hmm. in the United States around a lot of political matters. But one of the things that we say all the time is that we there's a lot of, a lot of things that we do have in common with each other yeah. as human beings. Mm -hmm. And we need to work hard to find find what those things are and start there. Because uh, we've shared this story pretty openly in our second book, we wrote about this, that there was a man from a far off country in, and he reached out to us privately on Facebook and we developed a connection with him and he had lost several family members, his dad and actually three children. And it was just a horrific terribly painful situation. So we struck up this pen pal relationship, this, this friendship with this man. And then he learned more about our work and someone to tell it to. And we ended up getting on the phone with him multiple times. And almost every time we, we got on the phone with him, he was just in utter grief over the loss of his family members. And we've said in a lot of the talks that we've given about that story is one thing that is absolutely common among all human beings is grief. And we're all going to experience it. So that would be a good place to start, right, is to find what we have in common. And, and in this situation, as fathers ourselves, we would know we can't even imagine what it would be like to lose a, ch a child. But we could yeah. imagine that he is feeling something deeply in that situation and do our very best to try to form a connection around mm -hmm. the loss of a child. Yeah. And, and mm -hmm. so start with what's, what we have in common. And, and that's also why we do podcasts. That's why we're writing books. That's why we blog. That's why we speak. That's why we are have, you know, being interviewed because we believe that, that this helps us to get the word out to, to communities, not only our local community, but the world community about the need for us all to listen better, about the need for all of us to be listened to. And to, for, for us to find what is in, in common. And so the fact that we get to do uh, have opportunities like this, like we have with you right now, we believe it help, these things help to affect larger and larger communities. And, and as people learn, when we started out, we were, we were simply listening to people individually. But it continued to grow where we then listen to families and we listen to, you know, within organizations with now we're listening within businesses and within uh, healthcare systems. And we just love that because it's enabling us to just exponentially grow 
what we hope is this movement. And in fact, literally right before this this conversation with you, we were on a Zoom call with several people from around the world, from you know, people from Israel, from India, from the Netherlands, as well as few few from the United States, who were, were a collective, a small collective, about a dozen people who are trying to figuring out how we can work even more closely together to help affect this worldwide epidemic of loneliness mm -hmm. and do something that will make an impact that none of us can make just on our own, mm -hmm. but that together collectively we can affect communities and change the world in what we hope is, is a healing, tremendous way. I love that. And I, you know, for me, you've struck me with the story of the man and his dog. Cause I, you know, for, for all of us, we, we walk past people or we don't talk to people in, in cafes or wherever we are. And it's just this moment where you discover stories about people, but also this, this receiving piece, which is that you, you suddenly learn that other people want to talk. Yeah. I think about my mother, just as you're going through this and uh, my father's passed away. So she's by herself. So who, who does she talk to? So powerful gentlemen, very, very powerful. Um, I'm going to end with the three questions I ask and I, I know that the book is on leadership, so it'd be interesting to see whether these correlate in here. But the um, the first question is for both of you, which is one small memorable moment in your life that shaped your leadership. I actually do have an answer that, that immediately. Actually, uh, when you mm -hmm. asked it earlier, I was in I was in graduate school, and I had a professor who, and I was fair. I'm, I'm more of an intro, I'm more introverted and, and quieter. But I got a message from one of my professors who, who said, I want you to know that you have a voice and I want you to be able to use that voice because it's important. And I think that encouragement, that reassurance, that, that helped to give me confidence to know that I do have a voice and it needs to be, as we all do, in one way or another. And it gave me the confidence to share my voice which I think is in being a leader. Fantastic, Michael. Tom? I'm going to actually say this guy stand, sit, sitting next to me here because one of the things that I think it's important for us as leaders is to make sure that we're taking time to affirm our team members. We all need affirmation. We need it consistently. And since day one of our friendship, Michael has always been quick to affirm. And... Mm -hmm. He writes literally hundreds of thank you notes and handwritten notes to me and to team members and to family members. I mean, he's just, he's in tune with what people are living with and need the, the areas we need to be celebrated. And as leaders, I, I think that's something that we need to build into our schedule is to write, write more notes of affirmation to, to others. We, we love to, um, to cite one of the former CEOs of Campbell's Soup, he was well known for having written hundreds, if not thousands, hundreds of thousands of handwritten notes in his wow. work culture. And he really flipped the work culture at Campbell's Soup because he took the time to affirm. So we can, we can never do it enough. Hmm. 
That's a really good memory because my boss, old boss, used to be brilliant at that. And he'd pick postcards that had a relevance to me and write a note to them. And it was always, I don't do enough of that. So that's a really powerful one for me. Well, Tom reciprocates too. So I I need to affirm him for that, that uh, if I write him an affirming message, especially early on, we had a lot of, you know, we'd send emails to one another and affirm one another, you know, I, and he would always, he would always do it back. And Mm. it's something we both need and, Mm. and love. And it encourages us to do better, to do more. If someone seems to have confidence in us and, and believes that we have something to offer. Wow. We're recording this on a Friday. I'm feeling good for the weekend already. And, and no, dis- I mean, it is, it's, it's such a good reminder. This is what people need is just those little prompts that go into our, our heads that go, you know, when was the last time? Yep. I haven't done this. So it's really powerful. Hmm. So maybe link to this, but one thing you would disrupt about leaders or leadership today, what would it be? I'll come back to the statement I made earlier, just that leadership or listening is often deemed as a soft skill mm-hmm. that that narrative just needs to be flipped, that it needs to be built into our work cultures. It needs to be hardwired into us as leaders. We need to listen, not just twice as much as we speak. We would probably say three, four or five times as much as we speak. A lot of our education was around, you know, as leaders, we need to speak more. We need mm-hmm. to be the orators. We need to be the ones to tell others what to do and where to go. We just don't believe that that's the way forward. I mean, there's so many articles that are coming out now, just building your work cultures around relationships and the need for that. And it starts and ends by listening well. I also just like what's going through my head is it's listening is about observing as well, isn't it? It's about, Mm -hmm. it's seeing what's going on. So it's not just listening, it's observing. And a lot of the design thinking, and going back to soft versus hard skills, a lot of design thinking, the way organizations are being drilled to design products is about observation of people in the moment to see what it is. So it's it's a critical skill for us. Yeah, I'll share a real quick example. Like we have one of our executives came into our team meeting uh, earlier this week and she was just carrying something really weighty and we could just tell and through her nonverbals. And we had, a it was a, the last two weeks been super busy for us. Uh, any CEI, CEO knows what that can, that, that can feel like at times, but we kind of shut our computers and gave her our undivided attention for almost an hour. And mm-hmm. she was able to go back into her work situation and, and be laser focused. On, and so we could say that listening is going to lead to greater results as well. Excellent. Absolutely. Huh. Final one, one leadership habit that's non-negotiable for you. And it might be different for each of you, but if we got one habit in your life that you think as a leader is non-negotiable, what would it be? I'm sitting in front of a bookshelf here. Michael and I, since day one, we've always been reading together. And the best leaders are, are learners, lifelong learners. So we just encourage leaders who are listening to spend time reading. And Ken Blanchard is probably one of the best lifelong learners I've ever yeah. come across in my life. A whole yeah. row of Ken Blanchard books right behind uh, us. Yeah, I agree. Ken has been um, very affirming of our work, and we uh, yeah. appreciate that tremendously. And what's non? There are a lot of things. I think there are a lot of things that are non-negotiable. One is, as Tom mentioned, is affirmation. We all need to be affirmed, and I think that without that, people are not at their best. I think I, I believe that affirmation 
at least because it helps me. It, I, we know, I know it helps Tom too. That, and as I kind of said before, that when someone says something good about me or that, that I've done something that they thought was, was I've done it well, it only makes me want to do better. It only makes hmm. me want to live up to their, their belief. And yeah. so I, I think that it's important to, to find what is right with people first and not just what is wrong with people. And to me, that's non-negotiable. Well Somebody gifted me something I'm going to end with, gentlemen, for you, is that they, how often do we say, I'm really proud of you? I'm really proud of, of what you've done. And somebody said the other recently, they said, hold on a second, just flip that around because that's very sort of patronizing adult child that said, why don't you flip it around and say, you must be really proud of yourself uh, in what you've done. And I just loved that flick. And I would say that to you, you must be really proud of yourselves in terms of what you're doing in the world. Um, we actually have matching tattoos that say, I'm proud of you. And it's in the uh, late... Fred Rogers was a hero of our from Mr. Rogers neighborhood here in the United States. He would often be known, well known for, for ending every correspondence with people saying how proud he was of whoever he was talking with. And so Amazing. we got his matching uh, handwriting tattoos on our, on our arms. <laughs> huh. So mine would be dis ego is the enemy, which is, is, is linked to that as well. So it's just brilliant. Well, yeah. so, gentlemen, this has been amazing. It's for me a great Friday to a way to ends talking to yeah. both of you. If people want to find out more about your your organization, your work, your books, where would they go? Someone to tell it to dot org is the mm -hmm. is the best place to go. Someone to tell it to dot org. We're also on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Uh, those you know, there you find things there as well. LinkedIn, you know, so all, all the social media platforms and our podcasts can be found on anywhere you can find podcasts. And we the name of the podcast is the same. Yeah. Yes. Podcast yeah. is the same name, someone to tell it to. Right. Brilliant. Oh, thank you. Thank you for making my Friday, my week, um, and an ending to it. And I'm looking forward to continuing our conversation. So thank you both. So Michael and Tom, thank you so here. much. This has been a real joy. Thanks, Colin. Yeah. Well, that was Tom and Michael. Someone to tell it to is, is a fantastic proposition to go out into the world and say they're starting to spread the news and their work right across the globe to start to get people to listen more, to remove that loneliness that we experience. And in an increasingly divided world, despite technology, we um, have this bit where we don't notice the people next to us or the what they're going through. And therefore, that ability, non-judgmental listening, affirmations uh, that they were talking in there, it was uh, inspirational to hear that today and to hear about their work. So check them out and check out the work that they do. And in this case, to spread their words, if you kindly leave a, a review and a rating for the podcast, that would be fantastic. And that allows us to increase the ability for us to get the message of Tom and Michael and other people out to the world. So I'd love you to, to do that. Give us a rating, give us a review. And uh, I'll look forward to welcoming you back on another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast very shortly.